Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. I don't know about you, but I am exhausted. Eight games of rugby to watch over the weekend. <laughs> Doesn't leave much time for anything else, really. And they were fantastic games from France versus Australia, Ireland, South Africa, the New Zealand game in the World Cup. Wow, France not quite getting there in the Women's World Cup. It was a lot to watch. There were so many ups and downs. It was emotionally exhausting. Bring in the fellas. Goodness me, Bryn Hall in Japan, James Parsons in, in beautiful West Auckland. Moment of the weekend, Bryn. Oh, it had to be the Black Ferns. Look, I think the way that they've come in the last 12 months, to be able to get that result, I think, you know, I remember sitting here last this time last year thinking, like, it's going to be a hard task for them. But, yeah, we'll dive into that a little bit more. But what a great result um, for that Black Ferns. And I can't wait to see Eden Park sold out because those girls thoroughly deserve with the brand of rugby that they're playing at the moment. Yeah, oh, it has to be the Black Ferns. I, I think the reason why is just, you know, how how big a margins they lost by 12 months ago or eight months ago uh, to turn it around and win a semi-final under that um, sort of pressure. Um, and I, I suppose the most exciting thing for them is it wasn't a complete performance. So it leaves them, you know, on edge, a little bit hungry going into this week and just think they're timing their run perfectly. Do have to make notable mention of, obviously, Argentina, um, but I don't know if that can be a surprise going forward, you know, after what they did here in New Zealand. They almost like to defend rather than anything else and then and pick up threes here and there. Um, Australia as well. I know they fell short, but, man, that was a big statement as well. So there was just plenty to like across the whole weekend, really. Pressure does funny things. You know, Jipper would say in a commentary that it makes diamonds, I'm sure, but it does funny things. And when Juan lined up that kick from in front to win that game... I doubt many people thought, Bryn, that that was going to miss. No, there's just one time where you want someone to miss a kick, and obviously sorry for all our French fans from afar, but as a Kiwi, I was hoping uh, who to miss that, miss that because I think, you know, what they did and I guess the growth that we've seen them in the last, you know, 12 months from when they had that um, India tour, they, they've come through with a new coaching regime. They've gone through that little period of time getting test matches before the, the World Cup, and now you can see New Zealand's really right behind them. And I think we all want that climax of having the opportunity to play the English. And I think, to be honest, if we're looking at that Canadian uh, match as well, uh, they were very, very lucky to get away with that result. So I think the test that they had against the French and getting through that, I think it's going to set them up very nicely for this English team, which I think, uh, to be honest, I think if we get it right, and I think having that pressure in the moments that we had to get through and adapt our game a little bit, especially in that second half, 
I think it sets us up very, very well for a final at Eden Park in front of a full, full packed stadium. It's almost like Wayne Smith touched on it straight after the game as he sort of laughed that no one in his team wants to kick. Um, but you can see that they yeah. are going to take the lessons out of that game and they will be yeah. um, better for it going into this week because that's probably the only area they missed. Um, you know, they really sold their own up front. Um, you know, they, they do the business at the breakdown, but I, I sort of agree, and, and Ross, you've sort of mentioned it before, their lack of kick does give the opposition that opportunity to attack their their attacking breakdowns. Um, so if they can just get that balance of attack right in this final, they're, they're putting themselves right in the position to win it. The really good thing that I saw in the second half was the ability to be able to have those attacking kicks to try and get it behind. So even even though some of them didn't come off with the mono, they ricocheted and didn't go through, look at Renee Holmes's try, and then obviously trying to get him behind the, um, the French was really good, and I guess that's what they're going to try and take forward um, coming in um, the next week with, obviously, Rene Holmes probably to be playing at fullback again. But I think there's one thing, Jip, that I did see as well, because I don't think you can change too much in the week that's to come. They've got their DNA, and they can only make little changes. But I think if they are going to exit and hold on to the ball a little bit more, I think they need just a little bit of variation around their pick-and-go uh, pick game. You know, for the whole tournament, they've just been picking and going and getting someone to latch on and go forward. Whether you change the point of attack, Chip, you could probably um, talk a little, little more about this, but little tips to get in behind to be able to go over the advantage line and have a bit of variation around there because they are going to do pick and go a lot from um, from their own half. So that's probably just one thing that I saw they could try and touch up on when it comes to their pick and go trying to exit out of their own half. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's that big a change to... Like, defences are starting to realise they're not going to kick long. And, you know, if those mm. if those wingers do come up, then... then just boot it long. It doesn't necessarily have to go out, but if you get a good chase line, you know, they've shown, especially in that quarterfinal, um, you know, I mentioned it last week, Demant's kick down the middle. It still did the job, got them out of trouble. Um, and then if the Wiggers don't and they keep dropping back, then there's our, our strike power's on the edge. You know, you are, mm. you know, when teams try to close a game out and you pick and go, you, you, you're right there for a penalty, aren't you? They're going to fall at their feet and, and it can be a turnover, clean wrong. So why not go to the edge and potentially you could kick from the edge or you could have a strike and then go to the box kick. They've got they've got the options there. I just think they've just got to be more open to that the exit is going to involve a little bit more of the boot this week. Jeff, I want to pick up on that point you made about the breakdown and the predictability of the play leading to the French being able to dominate and get the number of turnovers they did. Well, I think the first thing's first. Like The breakdown all starts with the carry. So if the carry's dominant and they go between bodies and they get across the gain line, then they're in the dominant position to get those attacking cleaners in and, and win the ball. It's when you don't win that collision is when you become in trouble or you lose your legs too easy and you just drop to the ground in front of them. So a, a lot of the onus, and, and Bryn, you'll agree with this you know, as a nine, the onus is on the carry. You would almost know as a nine, get hit, um, behind the advantage line, it's going to make it a nightmare for you to either win the ball um, and or put the position to you know attack or kick on your terms. I think the variation that, they, that they're going to have to have around um, this week is going to be really important because it's a really good opportunity to be able to get that really quick ball. So like you said, the ball carrier has a job to do, use footwork or being able to get over the advantage line. And then the two cleaners that are uh, inside and outside them have to do a job. And sometimes when you've got that direct mindset, you just know that you've got to be able to get behind that ball carrier, take the bodies out and clean through, and that's been able to get quick ball. But I think with the Black Ferns as well, they've actually shown some good animation, actually tip ability and execution in that. So I think they're going to have to marry up a little bit, being really direct maybe early for the first 20, get the get some good go-forward ball, and then be able to maybe 
um, have the tips and going out the back with DeMont and getting those um, players on the edge off that. So um, it's it's really it's really interesting because I think for the for the for the Black Ferns, the level of intensity what they're going to have to be at for eighty minutes, they're going to have to be on for every single time, and they're not always going to have momentum. But I think if they've got that mindset that you know one little moment here, one little moment there, that's the kind of mindset that they're going to have to have because um, they're going to have to be right on the job for eighty minutes against this English team. What did Canada show you, Jip, about what can be done to nullify England? Yeah, look, I, I think it was a, a good execution from the team. And, and by that, you know, like they stunted them together rather than trying to go to ones and twos. Where you'll play into England's wheelhouse, whether it be breakdown mall, is when you're trying to solve solutions as ones and twos. And then it's the grain of that pressure and, and get a roll on. So uh, to me, it was it was just a great execution of the plan. It wasn't always perfect, but it was their intent. And whether... It's, it's almost like when you commit to something, it, whether it comes off or not, is if you bring the right intensity or, or the intent into those collision areas, you, you know, you, you're probably going to come out on top and or even at best rather than losing any of those those opportunities. The line-out drive, Bryn, that seemed to be a place where I suppose we didn't think that England could really be dominated, but there were times when Canada got that spot on. Yeah, that's it. And I think, you know, I look at our, our set piece and where we've got to, um, you know, you know, Connor on the weekend, to be able to win the ability at the back ball was going to be really crucial for us. And the execution of that was really good. So, you know, whether the the Black Ferns want to have the ability to be able to go to the, the line out more, um, it's a great weapon if you can get it right. You know, the French have done it very, very well, been able to attack the blind side with your nines. And you look at Kendra Coxage, if you've been able to attack off the back of a line out more and you get that right, it's really hard to be able to, to defend that. So, um, yeah, look, I can imagine... You know, the powers that be and their coaching staff will maybe having little specials here and there to be able to try and um, get them behind that English pack. But at the same time, you know, that English woman um, team is, is pretty pretty successful. And, you know, they'll be thinking around solutions around how they can get that right. And um, you know, they've got the experience. What is it now? 30 international test matches that they've won. So um, they're winning ugly. But, you know, they've been able to problem solve on the go. Very similar to what the, the Black Ferns did in that second half. And it's going to be a great chess match um, coming forward on the weekend. Can't wait for it. I think it's also um, a little bit, Ross... Um probably because they've been so dominant, teams haven't gone there. And over time, mm. they haven't had those opportunities in live matches to defend. You can do a lot at training, but there's nothing... Uh, you, you you know your teammates really well, so you can get into potentially bad habits. Uh, and, and because teams haven't gone there a hell of a lot, because it's been their strength that over time, maybe their ability to actually execute it hasn't been as challenging have seen in this World Cup. And, and, and I think... That variation Bryn talks about is, yes, we've got to go direct at them and back our driving more, but then once we've sucked them in, we've got to have the ability to go off that. It kind of reminded mm. me of a Stephen Fleming tactic. Let's go cricket for a second. Back in the early 2000s, where <laughs> Damien Martin was incredible for Australia, square of the wicket, and he was just immense there. So Fleming just put three fielders there, bolted in the area and said, we're going to get you where you're at your best. You know, and and yeah. inevitably, time after time, they got them out there. So you know, it, it feels like if you hit them there, then that's where maximum pain could be, Bryn. If they don't get it right, that's when the confidence goes down. That's when you get on top of them. But you've got to be brave at the same time, <laughs> because like if you want them to give them opportunities, whether it be discipline issues, and you take them to the corner, um, as you know, Jeff, as a forward, I know we're using a cricket analogy here and cricket team with Stephen Fleming, but. When you're going out to a line-out more, it's so hard to be able to defend that. And so um, you can score points off that, and the English have shown that. But, um, yeah, I think if there are good plans in place and you'd like to think uh, Cron and 
the coaches uh, will hopefully have a plan around that. But um, yeah, look, I can't imagine they're wanting to defend too many uh, line-out malls uh, from, the, uh, from the English both sides of the ball. The feeling mm. when the Black Ferns and the other teams are standing in front of a full house, singing the national anthem with a smile on their face, uncontrollably joyous in the way they sing the national anthem. It's not necessarily hand on heart and tears or puffed out machismo or whatever it is that you see in the men's game. There's just straight up joy and appreciation for what they're going through right now. And it's, it's refreshing, but it also makes you feel close to them and it makes you want to support them, Brenna. It's a completely different look and feel to the men's game. And it's refreshing. Oh, it is. And you can, like you said, Ross, it's the mannerisms that they're showing, whether it be with, you know, um, the national anthem and smiling and looking around at the occasion that, that they've had. You look at the opening ceremony and pretty much a full packed out uh, Eden Park. Same again, 30 odd thousand at Eden Park. And I guess this is, what, this is what they've wanted. You know, women's rugby has needed this and they've, you know, constantly be saying they want to be given opportunities to play in meaningful test matches, been televised, been advertised, been able to give opportunities to show their brand of rugby. And I think that's the one thing that's really. I guess, um, brought New Zealand together is around the way that they're playing, their attacking brand of rugby that they're playing at the moment is really exciting for them to watch. Like, I looked 12 months, 12 months ago and the brand of rugby that they were playing, it wasn't that great to be able to watch. And I know there were obviously difficulties around um, they're not being able to play and COVID and all those things. But, you know, we feel like we've been through the journey with them, not just at the World Cup. We've seen that with the growth of obviously the coaches coming in, they've played the Wallaroos, they've gone through that, they've been able to see in front of us on TV a lot more and now we're at the Rugby Championship at the World Cup and we've seen them grow and like we almost feel like we're on the journey with them. Um, and I think you just see that as well with the enjoyment and the kind of um, the messages that they're giving throughout the media, whether it be, you know, Ruby Tui or Hidani or even Damon and the messages that they're giving. Um, how can you not want to be um, supporting them and getting right behind them as a New Zealand supporter? So, you know, I'm all in and I really hope that um, the Eden Park crowd shows out there and it's a full-packed stadium. And I actually think it will. I think it will with how the brand of rugby that they're playing at the moment. And the follow question to that, Chip, is how does the men's game learn from this and apply those things that are so endearing about the women's game right now? Well, I suppose I look at it from another lens. Is we've got to make sure as the women's game gets more and more professional that we, we bottle what we're seeing and, and what, what it represents, the opportunity in front of big crowds. Because over time, especially off the back of this World Cup, the women's game is just going to skyrocket in terms of opportunities to be playing more and going towards more of a full-time program. So it's making sure that we never lose sight of these images and these feelings that these players are getting to feel um, as probably being the pioneers off the back of a lot of um, players' work previous to them. Um, you know, you look at a lot of the ex-Black fans in the crowd, that you, you can see the pure joy in their face and, and gratitude for where the women's game's got to, and that's only going to um, grow. Um, and, and just like I'm sure many... As, as we've heard, a lot of, um, I suppose, male rugby players have gone in and helped from a skill set point of view, and and, and they've, you know, the, the female players have learnt off them. I think there's an opportunity for the male game to look at the female game and, and remember what it's all about, and is that love and joy for playing this game and, and, and learning from that experience that they're seeing and witnessing right now. Not taking it for granted. When you get a major injury, sort of, um, you come back with a new lease of life and gratitude just to be training, just to have the jersey on again, and, and you just play some of your best rugby. And it's not that you take it for granted, but sometimes you probably, you, you're probably you so um, narrow-focused to be the best, be successful, mm. win, and maybe a little bit outcome-focused, um, especially when under pressure. But when you strip it all back and you, and you look at it from a, a, a pure what do you love about the game, 
why why do you play it? Uh, it just brings the best out of individuals, and you will see that raw emotion. Um, and for some people, it will be smiling. Some people it will be crying. Whatever it is, it's 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 great to see, and it it's that authenticity that you talk about, Ross, and that's what connects us all to it. There's something endearing about it. And when I look at the men's game, it's a completely different scenario. But boy, it was an interesting weekend in the men's game too. There were close games. There was England getting beaten by Argentina. France just pipping Australia. The Ireland-South Africa game was a beauty in the end. Which way was that going to go? There was Rassi Erasmus getting on Twitter again. Michael Checker doubling up as a rugby league coach in the same week as a rugby coach. You know, there's all of these amazing things going on right now. Uh, We'll get onto all of those. Let's talk a little bit about Wales versus New Zealand. Wales 23, the All Blacks 55 at the Millennium Stadium. Were you completely surprised, Bryn, by the way that Wales approached that game tactically in comparison to the way that almost every other team has approached the All Blacks in the last few years? Oh, I, I don't think so. I think, to be honest, we got out, we got out to a pretty quick start around um, the breakdown area and getting some really good go forward ball. And we've talked around uh, a lot around this. When the All Blacks get their breakdown work right, they tend to score a lot of points and been able to um, put a lot of pressure on teams. And, you know, we did that with Cody Taylor's first two tries in the first 20 minutes and so kind of put them on the back foot um, with Wales. And maybe they had to change their, their game tactically where they might have wanted to kick the ball a little bit more and, I guess, want to play a little bit more running rugby. And probably the conditions didn't help as well. Obviously, hearing the commentating was a bit dewy inside and was a little bit wet. So, um, But to be honest, what it felt like for me, the game-wise, was that any team that gave away the penalties um, in their own half or in general were able to then score points off that. Um, it seemed like it went back and forth um, even though New Zealand started really well, the All Blacks did, Wales came back, and then it went back and forth. And then, to be honest, Aaron, Aaron Smith's two tries at pretty crucial moments was able to just get us over the line, and we came over the top of them in the last 10, 15 minutes. But for me, I think maybe it was the fact that we just started so well because um, the breakdown work and the efficiency with it, be through the pick and goes to Artie Severa and his, and, his, and, his, and his big dummy that I don't know how people keep falling for that because he always does it. Um, but um, he's a man that we'll be able to touch on this season. If he's not in the conversation for the best player in the world at the moment, I don't know who is because um, he's staping his claim with the way that he's playing right now. But um, at the same time, I thought the All Black forward pack was was outstanding through their efficiency of the breakdown for long periods of time, especially early on. And we were able to get some really quick ball for Aaron Smith to be able to then um, have that line, line break ball, just being able to get it through them with pick and goes like Artie Sevier and co. The Artie Sevier thing's interesting because it's the fourth year in a row that he's been well and truly in the conversation for best player in the world. You've got a feel, Jipper, that this could be his year to get that prize. Surely, if you do it for that long, it's got to come into it. Yeah. Oh, oh look, I think it's probably going to be a no-brainer. Like, you just can't ignore it. Both sides of the ball, every facet of play, whether it's set-piece, breakdown, ball in hand, defence, uh, he's just relentless. Um, and, and I do have to credit the numbers in front of him. Man, they've taken some heat, but that was another massive step up for numbers one to five and, and even you know a guy like Dalton Papali I thought he, he really won collisions as well um, you know ball in hand but defensively um, those low numbers friends and the key is look how well Aaron Smith played look how much time he had that's the best we've seen him purely because that is the best we've seen the all black forward pack this year they just dominated and I was a little bit surprised with the tactic to try and change momentum from, like I know accruing three points is great, and they did it a couple of times when they were right in the in the 22, 
and they were easy kicks right in front. But maybe they could have, you know, taken a leaf out of Ireland's book and just kept that pressure on while they had it and tried to suck some energy out of the tank so that the collisions became a little bit more even or they got the opportunity to be dominant and, and you know, really take the game by the scruff of the neck because I know they were right in it to the 60-minute mark, um, but they just fell away because they had too much work prior to that from, you know, obviously losing collisions but also backtracking a, a hell of a lot of that, that sort of first 60. Alongside Adi, Dalton Papali'i is getting a good crack, obviously, during this tour as the number seven. Bryn, were you impressed with Brody Brought? And is there a chance that if he keeps on bringing it, that next year we'll be asking, well, should Sam Kane really be in the team? Oh, he was he was outstanding. And I think, you know, you already will see the long run that he made with being able to do line break, which he has in his, his own arsenal, and it's a great attribute that he has to him but look you look at those collision areas that he that he's involved in um they're just so dominant he's got such a great intent and mindset around that and you know he, he'll make you know 15 16 tackles real easily but you know the dominance and i like seeing him to be able to influence whether it be slow ball as he's slowing down the ball for three seconds as he's been able to get over the ball and all those kind of little things that that you see a seven out to get but i think look if he can get more opportunities i think you look at this year a lot of people would say it's 50-50 between Papali'i and Kane, being able to who wants to play, who wants to not. But look, I think all he can control is being able to put back-to-back performances and then put on the coaches to make the decisions. You know, you don't want to be able to have one game here and there and then listen to the outside noise. But, you know, not knowing Dalton a little bit, he's not been able to do it. He'll be pretty um, process-focused around getting uh, performances back-to-back. And that's probably the best thing for him, knowing that Sam Kane's not there through injury. He's going to have this end tour to be able to get performances back-to-back and add stake his claim going into next year, which is, you know, Rugby World Cup year. Yeah, and Sam Kane is the captain, but look, all he can control is playing well. And every time he seems to do it at this level um, and gets given opportunities, he plays very, very well. I think it's unfair to, um, you know, talk as if Sam Kane hasn't performed himself. He's had some pretty big test matches throughout this season. And and I liken it to the hooker uh, competition at the moment. You know, Samasoni has, has played the house down and he has brought the very, very best out of Cody Taylor. And there was question marks, you know, earlier in the year. And he has just gone from strength to strength as well. And that competition and the ability of players to play well and put the coaches under pressure, I see it no different in the seven role. And, and you know, Dalton probably hasn't had the chance to put his hand up. But with these string of games, I can see a similar relationship um, you know, leading into next year. And, and the one thing I know about Sam Kane, he never assumes he's going to be picked. Don't you worry about that. He will be, you know, harnessing um, everything he's got to get healthy and come back just as just as big as and as better. But it is nice to see Dalton getting that opportunity because we know how good he can be and, and will be. Another Blues player just doing his thing on the international stage, Chip. <laughs> Don't don't chuck me down that rabbit hole this year. <laughs> I just think we could start a uh, James Parsons drinking game on this show. Um, one through five, stepping up and uh, Blues player. Yeah. Anytime those things are said. Hey, mate, one through, one through five, just cop it when it's not going well, but they don't get the bits coming. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. The Scots against Fiji. Um, when you saw what they did against Fiji, how do you think it's going to stack up this week, Bryn, uh, against the All Blacks? I'll tell you what, Fiji were, were very good in, the, in that first half. Um, you know, the attacking brand of rugby that they were playing and um, being able to put the Scots under pressure. You know, look at their first try and I guess the uh, the animation they had in very, made it very simple and asked a lot of questions of, of the Scottish. But, you know, they were able to go back to set pace and being able to suit dominance in, in that realm and being able to, I guess, get the momentum back with their line out more and, 
a few scrums, but more predominantly their line-out malls. Um, but yeah, I think you kind of just tick that off, to be honest. You, you review that, and um, it's always tough playing Fiji, and I probably think that um, not surprised really seeing it that this result would go. You look talk around consistency, and that's probably the, one of the things with the Scottish team is the consistency. And so you know they'll be ramping up and knowing that their preparation is going to go up a lot, a lot, knowing that the All Blacks are hitting you know five ones in a row and getting a little bit more of their consistency. But um, at the same time. You take confidence in knowing that you know the All Blacks, if they don't get their breakdown work right, um, they have a chance to be able to get the to win this game. And so that's an area that they beat. Uh, sorry, the All Blacks beat the Welsh, and they did that convincingly. Um, you'd have to think that that's where the Scottish will try and to try and get that inconsistency that we've seen a little bit uh, with the early part of this um, year with the All Blacks in that breakdown area. I think the Scottish will probably be confident on the back of Australia's performance, as as we sort of said, they probably lost that game and and they they put themselves you know in the contest and, and probably should have won it. And the Fijian game, through lack of discipline, potentially didn't give them the challenge, the full challenge that they, that potentially could have um, they could have been expecting. But I do I do think they've got enough there as long as they can take the opportunities. And as I mentioned before, I do think these teams have got to take a leaf out of Ireland and and just especially early in the fixture, going to the corner and just being relentless. Even if you come away with no points, it's out of the tank. And that really has an impact the other side of the ball. And that's when the breakdown collisions don't start being as dominant because you, you, you're knackered. You're, you're running out of juice because you've been defending and you're defending driving malls. So there is an aspect of chancing their arm and, and going after it rather than just thinking three points here and there is going to do the job. A couple of years ago, you know, they were, the All Blacks required a Bowden Barrett tackle on Hogg in the corner to get by, and they only just scraped in 22-17. I feel like, unlike the Welsh, the Scottish probably believe that they can achieve this? Um, well, I think it's given themselves an opportunity to be able to be in, in those moments, and I think that's probably the one thing that they'll be wanting to see. You know, a lot of people would think that it could it could be a cricket score, which we're accustomed to seeing with the Scottish team and um, the All Blacks in the previous, but I think, you know... And like it probably comes back to this point, you know, the All Blacks have lost games this year against teams that you wouldn't think they'd lose against. You know, they lost against Argentina, and they obviously had a really tough series against Ireland. But I think it's if the Scottish do get themselves in that position where it's really tight with 20 minutes to go, 15 minutes to go, they've shown that they've lost those test matches in those moments. So, you know, if they do find themselves that it's very, very tight, you know, we know that the All Blacks have the opportunities to be able to do that. And we've seen them be able to come back in the past, whether in this year's team and been able to do that. But the previous of the All Blacks and knowing what they could do in those kind of moments. But it's been able to take the learnings if the Scottish do get that. Um, they've got to be able to try and nail those moments in the game right then and there. Because it might be only one or two opportunities that they get, whether it be a line-out more, now you set piece or a scrum, or been able to go through during your 22 and be able to exert pressure for a long period of time. If they do get in that, that's what they've got to be able to try now because I think it's going to be a very close game. If they do get the result, it might come down to one, two key moments that the Scottish probably haven't prevailed in the last probably 12 months in those kind of moments in games. I think Wayne Pivak as well summed it up quite well. He felt his side gave the All Blacks time and space, too much time and space. So just as much as they're going to have to be bold with attack, I think they're going to have to be bold with the defence. You know, like if they can really get up in that face, you know, you know, catch the All Blacks behind the advantage line, um, challenge them at set piece, then they're playing the game on their terms. But it does come with risks because the All Blacks are showing they're getting better and better at, um, you know, holding their own depth and holding their feet to create that time and space if it's not there. But at all through the attacking kicking game, but I, I think if they can come out of the blocks and bring real line speed, um, and not allow the the 
bodies to win the collisions. It gives them an aspect around the breakdown, which is just so key. Eight years ago, Jip, you made your test debut against Scotland at Murrayfield. Uh, obviously a pretty special yeah. moment for you. You know, you still look very young. Um, but what's your memory of Murrayfield and I suppose your memory of what this All Blacks team will encounter as they make their way into the ground and towards this challenge? Um, well, they're, they're beautiful people. Um, they certainly pump you up and, and, and host you really well um, throughout the week. So you do grow a, a, a close affiliation with them and, and their passion and love for the game, their passion and love for the All Blacks as well as um, their team. Um, but the, the stadium will be packed. The lights will probably go out and the phone lights will go on. Um. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Anthem's saying, like, there is a real um, atmosphere that they bring, um, and, and you certainly feel them as their 16th player, um, especially if it gets tight, they start to go up a notch. Mm, there's definitely a buzz in that stadium. It's quite different from the other stadiums. It's, it's almost like the music and the lights create like almost a dance party vibe and you can feel this, this noise within the crowd. Whereas, you know, the Welsh, you hear them when they sing and the French, you hear them when the band comes on. But in that ground, there's just this buzz, the way that they turn it into this show. It was such a cool experience to have on my debut and, and being in that environment and the history of the stadium. And, and like you say, like the music builds the intensity and it almost um, zeroes in your focus. And, and they pushed us really close um, on, on that, that occasion. And, um, you know, we needed a couple of the big guns to, to, to get us home. Um, none more so than the, the man of the match, Jeremy Thrush, of course. Um, but <laughs> I just thought I'd get a jab in there since he's given me plenty over the years. Um, but yeah, look, it, it's it's a great place to play. It was a, it will always hold a close place in my heart, and, and I'm watching um, both sides go to battle this weekend. Let's move on to England versus Argentina. This game took me by surprise. I suppose I didn't watch it live. I saw the result before I watched it, and I was like, oh wow, you know, England have now lost four of their last six. Argentina, we know, Jip can get a boil over, but. They're playing each other in their opening game of the World Cup next year. This game meant something. It's almost like the blueprint is when Argentina step up defensively, it's exactly like what happened in Christchurch. You know, England had all the ball, they had all the territory, they had all the opportunity, but through that line speed pressure and, and the aggressive nature of the breakdown forced errors. Um, believe it or not, as we always say, when Argentina win the discipline battle, 
they normally win test matches because they keep themselves in the game. And England, you know, obviously provided Buffalo the opportunity to kick, similar to Christchurch. So some teams are like that. They they almost feed off defence. They almost they get an energy and a belief the back of uh, collisions and and the simplicity of just protecting your mates inside shoulder and you know being aggressive with a tent around the breakdown and it just seems to work for them when they go away from that yeah. or they lose that um, is when they can sort of have those blowout scores like we saw in Hamilton so the big test for Argentina is that consistency but it's not a surprise I don't think as much as it, it, it used to be they're normally in and around the semi-final um, at World Cups and I think they're growing in belief um, and maybe it's a it's an element of uh, less is more uh, with their coach um, you know obviously coaching league teams and then coming in probably not um, always you know cracking the whip um, um, makes makes them you know really perform in front up and I think one thing in, in their game as well you talk around discipline jip which has been a big problem for them in test matches um, look, their set piece was was great. They were able to win at 100% both at scrum and line-out time, which is always important, especially against the Northern Hemisphere. Michael Checker as well, the ability that he's running at the moment. Give him a shout-out at Michael Checker with him being able to do the, the, the league and the rugby. But I think the two tries that they did score, Jip, they were able to score and they didn't. They weren't lost opportunities. And I, I know Aaron Farrell's win is obviously the one that was knocked on and Carreras goes all the, all the way in the in the 50th minute. But I think those, those are crucial times in the game to be able to score points. And you've obviously got Buffelli that scores, what, how many how many points did he score? 20-odd points, points for a try and penalties. So it does seem like it is their DNA, but I think that's the, the one thing that I saw as well. When they were able to score, score those two tries, they made them count and then it put pressure on England. And when you're def- defending at 89 90%, winning your set-piece ball, having 30-odd kicks, which seems to be their DNA, and putting defensive pressure on, on England, that seems to might be their DNA moving forward um, for next year in Rugby World Championship, which is World Cup Rugby, Jip. That's the way you do win World, World Cup Rugby, being able to play great great defence, kicking, executing that well, and getting your set-piece right, which they did which they did on the weekend. Yeah, and I think even in this game, um, you know, if we take them back to when they beat the Wallabies at home, their kicking game is quite pinpoint and can put players under pressure and, and they can score points off the back of that. So they're a real threat across the park now. They're not they're not a one-dimensional team that, and they do have that unpredictability. But the biggest thing that they've cleaned up, as we said, is, is their discipline, but their ability to know when to offload. You know, so often they used to be the team that offloaded the most and they would, it would just be too many 50-50s which would provide opportunity for the opposition. They just don't give you that. Um, anymore, they are they are really disciplined in, in their you know attack strategies and and their ability to you know hold on to the ball. The English are almost the opposite. They lacked discipline. They threw the ball away whenever they got points. They then threw away those opportunities too and gave Argentina some chip. Yeah, I mean it's the discipline that you know similar to the All Blacks. You know they had a hell of a lot of territory. Um, but they just they let them out of jail, and they just didn't take take those opportunities. Like they kept within a sniff, and that's probably credit to Owen Farrell and um, his ability to kick uh, penalties himself. But um, it, it definitely wasn't uh, the clinical performance that I was expecting out of them. Um, but it also sets up the rest of the calendar because we know that uh, I think it'll bring the best out of them moving forward. They won't make the same mistakes twice. Can Argentina beat Wales next weekend, Bryn? 
Oh, I think they definitely can. I think if they show the um, the kind of performance they had on the weekend, but it's very similar to when they played the All Blacks, got that win against the All Blacks, and then the following week, the consistency that we've harped on about um, with the Argentinian team, it's going to be probably a question that's going to be asked again because um, the consistency is the biggest thing for them. But you know, if they can get their their DNA, which what we've kind of talked about, if they if that if that's that's, if that's how they're going to win Test matches, playing without the ball, kick well, um, defend very 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 well, which is a good way to do it. Um, it gives themselves an opportunity against uh, the Welsh. But I think, again, for them, you'd like to think moving into the Rugby World Cup, they've had some really good scalps this year. They've beaten the All Blacks. They've obviously beaten the English. It'd just be great for them to probably get one or two more performances um, that will set them really well and give them some real confidence going into uh, that 2023 World Cup. Because we look at last year, we were talking around uh, the consistency and where their game was at, and they've made a massive improvement in the last 12 months. So um, hopefully they can keep doing that with a result um, on the weekend. Exactly the same score in Paris, 30-29, this time to France over Australia. Now, Jip, I know you're a big fan of the Wallabies and the guts that they show. This is probably another good indication of how they've got it but not quite got it yet. Oh, I just felt for them. Uh, You could see how tight they got on defence. And that was a great ball um, to Pernod and... That, that was a hell of a try in such a big moment. He just made it look so easy. It, it almost caught me off guard because obviously they just got the penalty and, and I was like, oh, you know, points. They're going to have to score. And then next minute he's over the line. Like, I was just like, what just happened? Like, in, in an area that they'd been so strong in the whole game, I just felt for them, man. It was just, it was heartbreaking to see because they'd done all the work, but... You do have to credit the resolve of the French. Like, man, they yeah. they were not in that game at all. They didn't even look like the same French side. Um, so uh, I think, you know, it shows their quality of, you know, still probably being at home, potentially equal favourites, um, you know, if not the favourites still, because I think, you know, that home ground advantage got them got them uh, away with one they probably should have lost. Mm. Their discipline. Um, really cost them as well. You know, they they had 11 penalties that they gave away in their own half to give the ability to be able to give um, penalties and, I guess, accumulate those points, which, you know, the French weren't playing that well. But being able to pick up points here and there, uh, to stay to stay tight and to be able to not let it blow out, um, gave them opportunity to be able to have, have um, Pinot the opportunity to win that test match. But, again, another result for the Australians that they'll just be gutted um, because... It's, you know, hopefully David Rennie's taking confidence from it and they are, you know, they, they should be winning these test matches. And I, I guess the, the pleasing thing, I, you know, the Australians will be wanting to win these test matches, but the pleasing thing is that they are just that close to winning to winning these test matches and um, building confidence. So um, I know it's tough for Australians, but, you know, they're, 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 they're just losing these test matches by the skin of their teeth, which is um, which is probably tough for David Rennie and, and their coaching staff. I think the pleasing aspect is how dominant they were at set piece and in particular uh, defending malls and that is going to be a big factor Mm. like I thought their discipline around that was really strong Um, but it is the old adage with you know Dave Rennie coach side is getting that fire and the calmness you know just sort of equal not letting one take over the other if you know what I mean And, and, and that's that discipline is just that fire in your belly you just got to have that coolness upstairs that you don't, you know, step over the line and give easy easy outs for for the opposition. And again, it was 
Uh, I don't know if it was the difference. I feel like the difference was just one your brilliant moment, um, unfortunately, and a missed tackle. Uh, they they definitely put themselves in a position to be the winner on that on that game. But yeah, it is. It's going to be a constant battle because of the level of um, intensity and aggression that you know Dave Rennie demands from his, his his pack in particular, and getting that that sort of as I say, that, that mix right. They've got Italy coming up this week. Not as big a challenge, I suppose, in a lot of ways. Italy gave Samoa a good 49-17 hiding on the weekend. Could Italy upset Australia, Jipper? Oh, I still think it's an Australian win um, because there'll be a bit between the teeth. Um, but I will admit, I did not see that result against Samoa coming. I, was, I had high hopes for the Samoan team. They'd been over there a while... Um, you know, they've got some really quality players um, back and they, they are really well coached. We saw that in the Pacific Nations. So I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, you know, it just shows time when you're not together, um, you know, can sort of take you back a few steps. So they've got a bit of work to do for the rest of their campaign. Um, but you do have to credit the Italians. Like they've, they've played, they always play with passion, but they, they were just dominant and, and ruthless. But... I think being in Australia is a stretch too far. Let's have a look at Ireland versus South Africa. This was the game of the round beforehand. <laughs> this is the one everyone was looking forward to. Uh, Ireland win 19-16 against South Africa. I think that that is a relatively predictable scoreline, but this game could have gone either way. When you look at what South Africa didn't quite get right, what would have been the difference between them mm. winning and losing that game? Oh, I think having a goal kicker helps. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, in big test matches, they even talked in the commentary, having a kicker, um, you know, obviously with Colby struggling and uh, Willemsa struggling as well, um, you know, a few points here and there probably could have been the difference. But I think as well, I think probably in the 46th and 49th minute um, was a very, very tough first half. I think, you know, defensively, they put on a lot of pressure in the Irish phase play attack. You know, time and time again, Mopepe and co., making great decisions around that edge and being able to put pressure on their face play shit, which we saw very, very well in the June series with the All Blacks and questioning us. But that starts at the breakdown and, you know, the ability to be able to slow down that ball gave the likes of my Pepe and Co to be able to get up and really pressure um, that side of the ball, and which was great. And so um, that was one thing they did, they did really well. But I think one thing that they probably would want back and would want it to maybe get a little bit better was their line out more. I thought the defence of the Irish was was outstanding. Um, we've talked to them when they get into that 22 meter zone or even in big moments, they tend to go to their line out more and they were able to stop that and not been able to get any points from that. And so um, you've got to be able to tip, um, tip your hats, hats to the to the Irish in the defence. And then I also just thought the injection of Jamison Gibson Park and what he brought to that Irish side, it just probably showed more to me that, you know, obviously Connor Murray's then played his 100th game was an unfortunate that he went off. But I think as soon as Jamison came on, their ability to be able to play it at speed and tempo and what we saw in that June series was so much, so much more better to see with that Irish team. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, the South Africans were there with thereabouts. The last 15 minutes, they they dominated and they scored a couple of tries off that. And it was a hell of a test match. But yeah, just those areas that I picked up, uh, that's probably one thing that I think the South Africans will be looking back and thinking, I wish we got there a little bit better. You talked about DNA earlier for, for different teams. Are you surprised or is there some sort of genius to the fact but right now the South Africans are moving away from their DNA and trying things with Willemse and Colby at fullback and, and some slightly different approaches to what we'd normally expect of them where kicking is just so important to what they do. But I think they're realising that they have got firepower. 
we spoke about it when yeah. the All Blacks were over there. When they play, they are they are at their best, and maybe they've really come to terms with that and and know that their balance of their attack, um, you know, when when it's on, is to you know create a bit of that license to attack and um, you know the counter attack game is such a big part, and and they are so good in the air that they can really make teams pay uh, when 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 they're attacking those the aerial game and and playing off the back of that. Um, and if they get in trouble, the one thing they'll always have is their pack to build a couple of phases, win collisions, and then they can kick off those turns. And I th- uh, that's what I like is they're giving themselves the ability to have a crack, but they also know they've got the best bailout in the world, and that's their, that's their big boys up front and, and their kicking game. And their aerial game. They are just so dominant in the air. Is it a bit of a distraction, though, because the dominance of the pack and the line-out drive just wasn't quite there on the weekend, Bryn? Is it, are, you, are they all in or are they all out, if you know what I mean? Or can they balance the two elements of their game? I think they can balance it. Look, I think it's a weapon. But I think, you know, teams as well will probably be spending so much time to be able to stop them more. Just maybe a little bit of variety around that to be able to try and get in through that transition, knowing that, you know, we might need to get a six or seven here forwards defensively, you know, the Irish, for example, to be able to hit that more knowing it's coming. So maybe a possibility of getting a bit of variation, be able to try and um, manipulate that. Because then once that happens, then you might be able to get some more dominance in the line out more because you might have a couple of guys standing off wanting to think there might be Malcolm Marks or, you know, someone coming down that line with the Lande down there. So um, I think they'll they'll be able to still go to that line out more. I don't think they're going to change that much because once they do get it right, um, Malcolm Marks has got a pretty good success rate of scoring tries at the back of that more. So uh, they might just get a little bit better and just alter a little bit around the variation in that transition and being able to, I guess, hold off a few more um, defensive players in the line-out more. I'd love to see. I'd love to see um, Malcolm Marks a little willy away off the back, tearing around the corner <laughs> into that channel one. He's got yeah. Delende off his shoulder and he's got someone like Colby or Villancer out the back and just running this variation yeah. or just running absolutely straight up the guts. Um that is not a body I'd want at full pace coming down my channel. Um, so I think they've got the artillery there to do it. They've just got to back themselves because everyone knows they're driving more. So teams, that's all teams train during the week. So, you know, and the Irish are a big pack. And and, and it wasn't a surprise that they got some dominance at set piece. That's why they're world number one. Um, so having those variations, mm. I think, is key to South Africa defending their title. Mm. And let's talk about Ireland then because it is just consistent, isn't it? It's consistent. It is week in, week out against everyone. Yeah, and I just think it just confirms their world ranking. Um, you know, like they are the best team in the world at the moment. They, they are just you know, fronting up. And, and like you say, that level of consistency across the park. Um, and, and I do agree with Bryn a little bit, nothing on Murray, but when Jamison gives them park and sets them together, they are operating a lot better, um, especially in terms of their attack. And also their kicking game, like Jamison has got a great kicking game, especially around the 50-22s and seeing opportunities in behind. So it just gives a bit of balance to them. And they're just delivering always up front. Like they are just big men that are just prepared to go, go, go into the dark places. And we spoke about it when they played the All Blacks, but they just will keep doing the same thing. A little bit like the Crusaders, you know what's coming in their phase play, but they'll just keep running their lines. They're committed to their role in their systems and they'll just keep coming. If the ball comes to them, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But they don't shy away. They don't get bored of doing the predictable. Mm. And, and because of that yeah. and the options they have off it, it's not that predictable. 
what I did like as well, because, you know, we've been so accustomed to seeing them getting on the front foot. You look at that All Black series, um, they were able to win um, the advantage line and be able to play some really good footy. But for me, I really enjoyed seeing them win ugly. Now, they didn't get everything their own mm. way. They weren't able to be able to get some really good attacking face shape and really break the South Africans due to that, that line speed push. But, you know, they found a way to be able to win. They took the opportunities. You look at the 46th minute with that line out more around the front with uh, Van der Flair scoring that try. And then, obviously, um, with Hansen scoring that try in the corner off, off some click attack, they were able to score tries and show that kind of attacking prowess that we're, that we're, they're accustomed to seeing. But winning ugly sometimes with an Irish team that I think in the past, if they have been given a lot of pressure and thinking like they should be winning these games, um, is, are they are they peaking too early? I think they're answering a lot of these questions with the way they are performing. I think the, that win on the weekend against the South Africans showed that to me that um, they're the number one team in the world and um, you know sitting pretty nicely with results like that, like that on the weekend. I'm glad you brought up the Mac Hansen try because we've been waiting to see what Rossi's going to say. He's not on the sideline as the water boy. He's up in the coach's box. And we've been waiting to see what happens when Rossi gets back and gets his Twitter account going during this series, especially with the referees. Will he have learned his lesson? Well, it appears he hasn't really learned his lesson because he tweeted, tough test match, thanks for support from SA. Thanks to the island supporters at the Viva, you definitely understand the game, and it's great to play in an atmosphere like that. Surely was a game of big battles but small margins, which in itself doesn't sound like too much of a bad tweet. That's not tremendously controversial, but attached to that was a video. And it was a video of the Mac Hansen try. There was a kick through the ruck from Dan Sheehan, which obviously is illegal. Ireland get the turnover, ball goes out to Hansen. They did a really good job of finishing that and scoring. Off the back of that part of the video was when Eben Etzebeth broke in the last couple of minutes going downfield and then got pulled back because Franco Mostert had put a little kick through in the ruck and they were pulled back. So already he's looking at tiny moments of refereeing decisions, putting them online and putting the pressure on the referees, getting the public to ramp up the pressure on the referees. And this bloke from Georgia, Nika Amushakali, I just feel sorry for him. Like, Chip, it looks like he hasn't learned his lesson here. He, ha- he hasn't in a way, but he's trying to do it in a more subtle way, obviously. Um, but I think it's like, man, on one hand, there's arguments of more ball and play and, and less TMO interaction and you know, allowing the refs to make calls and understand, and then and then you get something like this. So it's like contradicts that. Uh, they're not going to get everything right, but if we keep slowing the game down to pull things back, I think you've got to take it on the chin for human error. And he clearly, it's not like the ref decided not to see, um, you know, Sheehan's one and then just decided to see um, Mostert's one. Do you know what I mean? Um, but he's a strong personality, um, and I don't think he, he probably appreciated being smacked on the hand. He's got a thirst for refereeing blood, Bryn. Like, it's obvious that he, he feels like he is the man to make referees and world rugby accountable. And it feels a bit unfair. A ref can't get everything right. What it does do for that South African group, it takes the pressure off them. Like, we're talking about Rusty Erasmus now, you know, around that as well. So it could take a little bit of pressure around that group. But what it does do, it holds the, it holds the referees accountable, whether it's right or wrong or not. Uh, people will say it's right. Some people say it's wrong. Uh, what it does do, it, um, it highlights around the issues that he's wanting from his team to be able to be brought out to the refs and being able to officiate it going forward around getting that right. And like you said, like like we've said, 
Um, he's a powerful personality and he's putting pressures on the refs to be able to try and make the right call for his team, which is you know more important for himself and his group is for South Africa and no one else. Yeah, but it feels like they could have won that game on the pitch despite that. And they didn't because they went up to it, Jip. And, and at some point, he's got to stop pointing the gun at the refs and turn that barrel around publicly and go, OK, this isn't all on them. Some of this is on us. The only thing I've got to reference to it is, obviously, um, Tom Coventry, you know, we'd have calls that go against us. And that's exactly what he'd say to us. I don't want to hear about that. We can't control that. What we could have controlled is these six clips that you didn't do your job. Um, and if you had done your job, you would have put yourself in a position to win. That's the tall and the short of it, really. So we look forward to see what he has to say, you know, next week when South Africa play France, you know, <laughs> and, and, and the week after that, and the week after that, through the World Cup. Let's give a stand on this, who has the better penalty count moving forward for that game. Power rankings. After the first mm-hmm. weekend of the Autumn Internationals, Bryn, who are your top five in what order? Top Ireland, second France, third All Blacks, fourth. Oh, I can't actually. No, fourth South Africa, fourth South Africa, and fifth England. Jep, same page? No, I'd go um, Argentina to fifth. And I think they start climbing up there if they back up this weekend. It's strong and interchangeable. Australia's performance warrants them, um, you know, to move into the top eight. Um, I don't know if, if Wales quite solidified their position, um, and it's a big week for them as well in terms of that, that sort of top eight. Yeah, OK, predictions for the weekend. We've got a lot of footy again this weekend. Let's start with the Women's World Cup first up. The grand final, who wins this? England, New Zealand. Black Ferns. Black Ferns in a tight tussle. Pretty similar to that French game. It's going to be tough, though. We're going to have to get a lot of things right, and hopefully we can get our kicking game a little bit better. That's uh, with the solution that we hopefully they do moving forward and the breakdown area. But, um, yeah, backing our gears all the way. Yep. Yeah, Blackburns for me, I, I just I really liked Wayne Smith after the game. Like, he was already in the process of how are we going to be better to make sure that we beat this English side um, and their, their improvements in other areas. But also their, their metal for the big occasion. They got behind, made their way back. They got ahead. They held on to a lead under immense pressure. And um, I don't think it'll be much different this, this week. Um, and I think those experiences and, and the belief that they'll get from that, um, I think they'll win the, win the game. The lads are fired up. This is another 2-0 in South Africa moment, possibly. Who knows? We'll see. Um, I'll go on my shield. I'll go on my shield on this one. It doesn't bother me if we get the hate for this. France v Canada in the third, fourth playoff. France. France. For me. France. France. Right, yeah. Let's move through to the men's internationals. On Sunday, New Zealand time, there's a lot going on. So, quickly, Ireland, Fiji. Bryn. Ireland. Ireland. Italy, Australia. Jipper. Australia. England v Japan. England. England. Wales, Argentina. 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 France, South Africa. South Africa. I'll go against the grain. I'll go for France. 
and into Monday no, no. morning. Me, I'm against the grain meal, mate. The French is <laughs> the easy pretty. No, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Crusaders know how to claim underdog status, Chip. You know that. You know that. <laughs> Barbarians versus All Blacks 15. All Blacks 15. All Blacks 15. And Scotland versus the All Blacks. The All Blacks. All Blacks. Man, who is going to sleep this weekend? This is another big weekend of rugby. And how good was Stevenson? (laughs) (laughs) We haven't had a moment to celebrate Sean Stevenson. Yeah, should have been there the whole time. If there's there's one more injury, if there's one more injury to those outside backs, you'd have to think he would be next. Right, lads. Okay, thank you very much, Brent. Appreciate your time once again. Really looking forward to watching the footy and this and hearing your thoughts next week. Jibber, thank you as well. Enjoy West Auckland. Have a wonderful experience out there for the next day or so. Cheers, team. One of the best places on the planet. Awesome. Catch you guys. And thank you very much for tuning in to another Aotearoa Rugby pod. Big weekend of footy. Make sure you catch all the action on Sky Sport, all the analysis on Rugby Passes channels. We'll see you next week. Matewa. Matewa.